Hello, everyone. This is Ricky Baez from Baez Co-Learning and co-host of the HR Talk podcast, welcoming you to another episode of Friday Chats. In case you haven't heard, in just a few short weeks, the HR Talk crew is going to be at the Space Coast HR Conference in Melbourne, Florida on April 21st. JC is going to be the MC for the event. I will be there at the HR Talk podcast booth, talking to everybody, just covering the event. And I, for one, am excited to finally go to a large event talking to real human beings, not over Zoom or over a conference call. I'm just, I'm just happy to be at an event. So I just cannot wait. Obviously, there's going to be some social distancing protocols. We got to stay safe and make sure that we flatten that curve. But uh, it, it's uh, which is really excited for this event. The Space Coast HR Association and the South Brevar Society for Human Resources Management put together a heck of an event for for everyone who signed up. It is sold out. So if you're trying to get tickets, uh, still try. I don't know if they're going to open up any more tables, but as from what I understand, it is sold out. Still try to check it out. But let me tell you, here is the the lineup that we have for the event. Well, not we, you know, obviously it's uh, is the uh, Space Coast HR Association, the South Brevard Society for Human Resource Management. They're putting this together. JC and I are just helping out with the event. Uh, but look, here's what we have. We have Janet Goldberg McEnery. I hope I said her name right. Joe Schaefer, Tracy Sponnenberg, R. Michelle Tatum, Lewis Wilson, and Jeffrey Shaw. Now, let me tell you about Jeffrey Shaw. He owns a company called Jeffrey Shaw Consulting or Jeffrey Shaw. Um, and he is an author. He is a keynote speaker. He is a business strategy consultant. And he is just an all around awesome human being. He and I got an opportunity to sit down and have a really candid conversation about how he got into consulting, how he got to be in front of hundreds of thousands of HR professionals every year, helping them be the best they possibly can be in the HR space and be that value added business partner to any business that they apply that talent to. So with that said, here's Jeffrey Shaw. Hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Friday Chats. And man, let me tell you, I've got a great one today. In case you don't know, we, JC and I, are going to be at the Space Coast HR Conference later on this month, on April 21st. JC is going to be the MC, and uh, I'm going to be off to the side, manning the HR Talk podcast booth. Just booth. Ah, I can't talk today. Uh, just talking to everybody. But one of the keynote speakers is here with me today. His name is Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey, welcome to Friday Chats. How are you, sir? I'm awesome, Ricky. Glad to be here with you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Jeffrey, let me tell you, I've been looking at your website. Uh, it's uh, actually, hold on, it's uh, jeffreyshaw.com. And you yes, you are going to be a keynote speaker over at the event. But before we get into that, I want to get into the mind of the Jeffrey Shaw. I was talking to you a little bit be, be, before the uh, recording, and uh, you are also a, Flor a Florida resident, correct? I am. Well, I'm, and as of now, I've been down in Miami for about five and a half years, uh, originally from uh, Manhattan, and uh, came down here for three months, five and a half years ago, and fell in love with it and never left. What, so, ha, I love these stories. <laughs> um, why, why Florida? What, what brought you down here that made you fall in love with it? Yeah. So, you know, give a quick sense of my background. So, I've been a portrait photographer for very affluent families for 36 years, oh. and I still do it, but very little. But that was my mainstay of my career. And about 12 years ago, I started, you know, 
moderating how much volume of photography I did so that I could turn to coaching and speaking and, and now authoring books. And, uh, you know, living in Manhattan is fantastic, right? It makes you think big. But what I realized is that when I came down here five and a half years ago, that I needed a different environment mm. for the type of work I was doing, right? So, you know, as a photographer, Manhattan was the place to be. My clients were in Connecticut and the Hamptons and they, you know, wow. easy access to airports to fly around the world for photo shoots. But when you turn to coaching and doing the type of work today, what I find I need is I need to recharge quickly. Like I had to take care of myself mm. in order to give to others. And I think that's fundamental in business, particularly when you're in a giving business. And uh, I found when I came here that I could recover quicker by taking a walk on the beat. The environment helped support me as a person so that I could give more to others. So uh, that really was the impetus for the, the move. So did you so so right now you're self-employed right now you 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 have a company right can you tell the audience about um your business and what and what exactly you do Yeah so um Jeffrey Shaw LLC. So it's it's a very diverse portfolio business model. Mm -hmm. As I said, I still do very little photography, but that's mainly just because it's uh, my favorite clients. I'm not willing to give up. Mm -hmm. uh, primarily, my work is small business consulting, particularly self-employed business owners. So I think are often overlooked. Mm -hmm. So um, I coach and consult on everything from you know very specific brand messaging so mm -hmm. that they can reach and attract their ideal customers um, all the way down to the business model and a broader sense of you know how they how they can market their business uh, you know to to reach their their ideal client base and develop a business model that uh, is diversified multiple streams of income and, and a solid business model uh, so primarily that's the work I do for like I said small businesses self-employed businesses mm. I speak as well uh, my second book is about to come out uh, May 4th which is called the self-employed life mm. and um, yeah and I have a podcast so yeah that's that's pretty much what makes, makes me tick are you a Star Wars fan I'm not. So it's funny you should say that because the book is coming out on May 4th. That's right. That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> I know. Everybody's commented on like, that's the, you know, May 4th day or whatever. And I've only seen the first Star Wars movie, embarrassingly oh, enough. Oh, Jeffrey. Enough. Oh, I know. Now you don't like me anymore. <laughs> but I will sneak preview is I have, I had a team create a video that's going to be put out the week before the launch. It's May the 4th be with you. And it's like, it's a Star Wars version of the book. <laughs> Oh, see, so that I'm definitely so, going to watch it because exactly. let me tell you, that is a big date for us Star Wars fans. Uh, and I had no idea. Oh, so, had, so for I'm those sorry. of you that don't know, the big phrase in Star Wars is may the fourth, I, I said fourth, may the yeah. force be with you. So everybody mm -hmm. says may the fourth be with you. That's the unofficial date of uh, of all Star Wars um, nerds like myself. Yeah. Um, so that's I didn't when pick you, the date. My publisher picked the mm -hmm. date. And, and then your publisher you know, is a Star Wars fan. I get it. It's all right. Be. I'm ask. <laughs> so, so you went from portrait photography mm. to, to helping business owners uh, get a clear vision of their strategy. How, mm -hmm. how do you make that transition? You know, I get asked this all the time and, and I appreciate the ask. And, you know, I think when we live our own lives, we don't think it's so odd, right? Yeah. I mean, I so the reason, it, I think the reason it morphed, one is just my own passion. Like I really, I love business. Okay. I've always loved business. I, I see it as a massive puzzle that is completely solvable. I will, you will never see me actually do a table puzzle because there's going to be one freaking piece missing. That's going to drive me crazy <laughs> like that. I can't guarantee a puzzle on a table is solvable, mm -hmm. but I feel like every 
puzzle piece in business is solvable. And I love the challenge of it. So that's really what drove me in business for my own business. And what I found is that I love doing that for other people too. It didn't have to be, it didn't have to be my own business. Yeah. So that's how I started coaching. And I, I put myself through a lot of training. I've received over a thousand hours of training as a coach because I really wow. wanted to be legitimate. And um, so to me, it was just kind of natural morphing, having been in business for at the time, 25 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ricky, what makes my photography business unique is that for 25 years, I have sold something nobody really needs to the hardest market on the planet, Mm. right? Luxury (laughs) family portrait photography to hang on your wall as art pieces to wealthy people. Like, you know, it's not something anybody has to have <laughs> to the hardest market to break into. So I realized I knew a thing or two about how to get through to any market that you could possibly want to reach because I didn't grow up that way. I grew up very low, low middle class. Okay. And um, I figured out how to, how to get into the mindset of any market, regardless, you know, high end, low end, anything in between. So I just started teaching that and, you know, then people start coming to you and it just kind of one thing more, so the dots connect yeah. as uh, diversified as it might be. What I love about speaking in HR though, I have to say is that I've actually never had a traditional job. I have been self-employed since 14 years old. I sold eggs door to door. I grew up in the country, Wow, okay. uh, a couple hours North of New York city, which at the time was country. And that was it. Like once I caught that bug at 14 years old, knocking on doors and selling eggs, on Saturdays. So they had eggs for Sunday morning, like, and figuring out how to, here's my strategy, Ricky, this is the way my brain works. Uh So I struck a deal with a local farmer. I paid him 25 cents for a dozen of eggs and he got the cartons for me and I would fill the, so on Thursdays, my mom would drive me to the farm and I'd put the eggs in the cardboard cartons. But here's my strategy. I realized that my key selling point, it was not service. It wasn't door-to-door service. My key selling point is that they were farm fresh eggs. Like I was, uh-huh. I was, I was like organic farm fresh eggs before it was a thing. I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, what made the area I was, I was living in unique is that it was a small country town, but IBM had bought up all the property in the area to start mm-hmm. their production plant. So this was a startup computer company. So most of the people living there were city folks mm-hmm. that came out from New York city to live in the country in the middle of nowhere. So farm fresh eggs were really hot to them. So my strategy was I would leave a little bit of chicken poop on the eggs. Like I would clean some off because I didn't want it to be gross. But I learned real quickly that if I left a little of the chicken poop on there while the client, you know, my customer might wince, it also is telling him how fresh these eggs were. Hold up, Jeff. Right? <laughs> so this is the way my brain works. And that it was understanding the power of that. I'm like, okay, I'm hooked. Like I love what business is about. So what I love about speaking in HR is like, I've never had a traditional job. And here I am speaking at, you know, I've spoken on a number of HR events and I, I love what I can bring to the audience because I think my perspective is so out of the box because I don't come from that traditional route. Well, Jeffrey, I'll tell you this. I'm still stuck in the chicken poop and you leaving <laughs> it there on purpose. But you know what? It's it, here's, here's what strikes me about that story. At the age of 14, you quickly realize that it's not necessarily about the product that you're selling, but it's more mm-hmm. about the relationship you built, right? So at 14, you quickly realize that if you left chicken poop on the egg, it makes it more authentic. It makes it more um, from the farm fresh rather than a, a big me- – I don't know if they manufacture eggs or if they if they farm eggs in a big, in, in a big company. But I, I guess what I'm saying, early on, you realize that if you make a connection with that customer, you've got that customer as long as you maintain that relationship and you make that connection. Yeah. So – 
coming you from know, in the game. I actually think it was even more than that. And I think this has everything to do with what I'm going to talk about at, at Space Coast mm-hmm. um, about, you know, attracting. So what happened, we'll just give you a little context here. So my previous book, which came out in January of 2018 called Lingo. Lingo is a brand messaging strategy, leveraging things like chicken poop and things I've talked about. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, leveraging chicken poop. That's not something you're going to hear on a I podcast. You're really. not, right? <laughs> um, but Lingo was a brand message strategy book to help businesses attract their ideal customers. And I realized that it has everything to do with re- recruiting as well. So to me, the picture, it was a bigger picture when I was selling eggs. And like I said, I think it has everything to do with what I'm going to talk about at Space Coast. And that is what I was really gaining from selling those eggs was a personal exploration of who I was. Okay. I was painfully shy at that age. But knocking on those doors was scary, but it was a route for me to find more in myself than I was capable of. It was a route for me to, to expand and, and step out of my comfort zone because what I, what I was gaining in the experience was bigger than my fears. Mm. And how I think this relates to, to HR and recruiting is that is exactly the mindset of employees today, right? Mm. They, if you look at the statistics, they want a job. They want to work for a company that's aligned with their values. They'll take a 30% cut in salary to choose one company over yep. another because that company they choose is more aligned with their values. Why? Because we're all on a path of self-actualization. And for me, self-employment was my journey of self-actualization. It's how I grew out of my shyness. It's how I now am a keynote speaker, right? Wow. Um, I was afraid to knock on doors and now I'm a keynote speaker. <laughs> so the route of self, self-employment was my route for self-actualization. And for a lot of people, the job they choose today is their route for self-actualization. And that's exactly how companies can recruit their dream employees mm. by understanding that. So so you said earlier that um, you you – You've never had a traditional job, and then here you are talking to HR people about what uh, what's motivation like, how to get that 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 candidate, how to really enjoy what you do. Now, coming from somebody me who's been who's had a traditional job his entire life, uh, most of it is uh, is uh, HR. I got to tell you. We need messages like that, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. So we definitely need those messages because HR comes, HR has a bad rap. I'm sure you've heard. HR, back when it was called personnel or admin, um, always had the stigma of um, they get in the way of, of moving forward. They always tell operations what not to do. And it's just not a really good relationship. Now, I'm looking at what you're going to talk about over at the uh, Space Coast um, um, HR conference coming up on April 21st, how to recruit retain and inspire your dream employees right so can you say a little bit about that before the good news is i don't have that opinion of hr that you just described because i don't i'm not in the industry if you will mm. so i don't have this so that is actually fundamental to attracting dream employees yes. and attracting ideal clients it's like i'm not coming with any judgment of who you are right awesome. so to me this is an open playing field um i just want to help people have better you know, luck at recruiting their dream employees for both the employees benefit and the companies. One of the things, you know, from an outsider, as I come into this industry of HR, one of the things, Ricky, that has completely puzzled me, and I'm saying this to everyone listening in, and I'll, I'll probably say this uh, at the conference as well, because I'm such an outsider. I'm like, why are you all trying to fix the problems from the inside? Why are you trying to solve your culture problems once there's people in there? Why are you trying to solve engagement, employee engagement problems from the inside? To me, because I'm a marketer, 
why not have a really strong system and filter on the outside of recruiting so that only the right people get in in the first place? Mm. And that's the way I feel, but fundamentally, that's the way I feel about business, right? So my business, my photography business, I worked 100% with my ideal clients. Mm -hmm. It was never, I never bought into the 80-20 rule that 80% of your income is going to come from 20% of your people. Because I look at it as a solopreneur thinking, who has time for that? (laughs) Basically, you're wasting your time on eight out of 10 customers. I don't have time for that. I need to be maximum productivity. So I'm only going to work. And I was, I'm super high end in the world of photography. So mm-hmm. I'm only going to work with the people that are willing to pay top dollar and, you know, like what I have to offer. And I feel the same way in recruiting. It's like only attract your dream employees and you get people that already feel aligned with the values of the company. They understand the foundational story of the company, what the company represents. They're a part of the culture. There is no fixing culture and employee mm-hmm. engagement right? Because you've, you've built that coming in. Yeah. Right. So um, now granted an existing company has work to do to, to switch that, but it's no different than how, how often businesses, when I really inspire companies and businesses to only work with their ideal customers, they ask the same thing. They're like, well, it's hard to say no. How do I transition to the fact that I've taken whatever business can come along? And I say, well, you only have to say no for a little while, mm. right? Because once you turn the tide, it starts building on itself. And okay. there's a tipping point too. I think a lot of, and again, I'm not a culture expert, but there's in any society or community, there's a tipping point where if you can get a certain number of people on the right side of the culture you want to create, those that may not have been there originally will tip over mm. into understanding the culture of the company. Uh, so like I said, from an outsider, I look at it, it's like, man, you all need to put more effort into recruiting. And it will solve a lot of the problems. So I, I am with you a thousand percent, Jeffrey, because um, uh, just like you, I don't have that opinion, right? It, it's, um, uh, you know, I teach over at, at a Rollins College over here and went to park for the Masters of HR program. And what I tell my students is you, you when you go into a new partnership, when you go into a new job and you bring your HR expertise, you d- really need to put that HR expertise to the side for a second and just become that business expert. Become that business whiz, that particular business, and that's how you get that seat at the table. But you know, it, it's a when it comes to recruiting. Yes, it is. It it is a good idea to focus on that star candidate. But what do you say to those people out there, Jeffrey? Those business leaders or those HR leaders who say, you know what? Who's got time for that? I. I was just told about this position that opened up. It opened up a month ago. They just told me about it last night, and I'm supposed to have it filled by two days from now. And 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 these people, they just won't have that time to really focus on that star candidate. What do you say to that question or that statement? Well, oh my gosh, a couple of things. So one, <laughs> uh, if you if you're not familiar with the story of unfortunately the late Tony Shea and, and yeah. the former CEO of Zappos. You know, his story and why he wrote the book Delivering Happiness is because his company was so fast growing, his original software company, not Zappos. Mm-hmm. So he had he had started his own software company. It was growing so fast, he was just anxious to get butts and seats and wound up creating a culture and an environment in the workplace of his own company that he hated going to. So he stopped going. Mm. And it was so bad that when he sold the company to Microsoft for billions, I suppose, I don't know how much money was involved. But I believe there was a $50 million bonus if he stayed on for one year after the sale as a consultant. 
one year. He made it six year, six months in, and he, he walked away from fifty wow. million dollars. That's how much he hated the culture he built because he was so anxious to get butts and seats. Which is why, when he became the CEO of Zappos, that's why the entire company is based on delivering happiness, yep. and it's based on the culture of the employees, which trickles down to the culture of the uh, the customers and everybody. And I've been to Zappos. I've I was fortunate enough to get a tour. Met Tony, you know, and and everything he says and and taught, he lived yeah. right. The culture there is amazing amongst the culture of the em- employees, and that trickles down. So you know, and I also look and say, well, where do you want to spend most of your time? Where do you want to waste most of your time? And this is okay. So if we go back to like the customer perspective, I tell businesses all the time, they're wasting far too much time trying to make customers happy that will actually never be satisfied anyway. Mm. Right. I mean, businesses waste an incredible amount of time trying to prove their value to customers that are going to give them pushback the whole way. If you've ever really looked at the nature of business, the most amount of money comes from the customers that are easiest to work with. We spend, we waste a tremendous amount of time with resistant customers. They're the ones, they're the ones you jump through hoops for, bend over backwards, and they're almost always the least profitable. Huh. All right. So from an employee, an employer perspective, I looked at the same thing. It's like, where are you going to waste more time? Are you going to slow down to get the right recruit, the right employees, or are you going to waste a lot of time trying to fix the problem once they're in there? And that includes, I mean, for, I look at it and again, I'm not a litigation expert, but I look, I mean, it's not easy to fire an employee nowadays. Mm. Look at what's at stake if it doesn't work out. So I just, you know, I, I get the rush to fill, but I have to question the logic of that, considering the time that it could take to put, and I don't think it actually has to take a lot of time. What I do and what I'll be talking about at the conference a lot is about, you know, in customer relationships, you call it brand image, but Mm -hmm. it's a recruiting image, right? How do you become the desirable company that people Mm -hmm. want to work for? Because your dream candidate sees what you stand for. And if they agree with that, if they feel aligned with the values of your company, if they're inspired, I mean, everybody wants to work for Google and Apple. Mm-hmm. Why? Right? Because we have an understanding of what they represent. They've presented themselves as a cool company. Everybody wants to work there. Mm. And, you know, I think there's, for any company, we need to find their marketable. Recruiting is a, recruiting is marketing today. It is. Right? <laughs> and I think what I see you know, I'll even say in business or, you know, I can even go broader in life. Let's face it. One of the biggest problems in life is miscommunication. Mm. And it's certainly true in business. The reason why businesses don't get their ideal customers is because what they're, how they're putting their company out there is not aligned with their ideal customers. Okay. Okay. Um, I often refer to what I do in brand messaging, my lingo strategy. I often refer to it as the evolution of buyer personas and avatars. Right, because buyer personas and avatars are built on a bunch of assumptions. Okay, lingo is actually doing the work to understand the people you're trying to attract. I think what I see in HR, one of the biggest communication gaps is employee employers don't really, really understand the mindset of the younger workforce, be they millennials or Gen Z. They don't get the value. I mean, they have a, they have a whole different set of values. And in my talk, I'm going to go back to how their values got formed in the first place. Yep. Yeah, I was about to right? say that. Yeah, go ahead. You have Sorry. to think about the impact of people's formative years because our values and our, our perspective on the world is formed at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. 
And you have to look at what was going on in the lives of millennials when they're and during their formative years and the, what, the, the impressions the world was making on them to understand their perspective now. So I'll give you one quick example. It is really easy for anybody of you know, midlife or you know, some certain age um, <laughs> I saw you pause there. <laughs> I'm, I'm being politically correct there. It's really easy for anybody of a certain age to assume that the attitude that they see in millennials is one of entitlement. We mm. hear that a lot. Yep. And I've been saying for years, like, really? I don't see it. I think they're the first generation to have the audacity to not settle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're right. Our parents, our parents' generation, as honorable as it was, Everything they did was settling. They stayed in jobs that they hated. They stayed in relationships that made them miserable because it was the honorable thing to do. And then, you know, the baby boomer generation, I think we started our lives with the similar values to our parents, but then we gave birth to these millennials and these millennials were like, YOLO, you only live once. And I'm going to, you know, and I think that's why the, I I believe my theory is that's why the divorce rate went so high and, and, you know, for midlife baby boomers who are all like, I think our kids are onto something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, I kind of think of us as the sandwich. Generation. So it's the millennials' the, fault. <laughs> Got yeah. it. Right? I think we kind of learn from our kids. We're like they're onto something. Like they know how to live. Yeah. So I actually think millennials are the first generation to absolutely not settle. They want to see the world. They want jobs that they're passionate about. They actually want to show up fully engaged. And when they do, it's because they don't know that they 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 can and should choose a job that resonates for them. They don't, and they weren't. They didn't go down a recruiting channel that made them understand what they were getting into. So you mentioned something really interesting as far as the generational gaps, and that is a whole show on its own. Um, In the past five years, I've had several clients who who have come up to me and said, Ricky, I need you to train my managers how to deal with millennials, with Gen Zs. And what I tell them is, you know what, it's I can do that. but I think my time and your ROI will be better spent if I don't train them on that, but just train them how to be understanding and flexible. Mm-hmm. Because if I train them how to be understanding and flexible, then regardless of what other generational name comes down the pike in 20, 30 years, they'll know how to adjust to that instead of adjusting to the one we have right now. Correct. Another thing you said that really hit me right in the heart, because I agree 100%, is recruiting, recruiting is marketing. And I remember I said almost those same words to my class about three years ago. I told them, if you're a recruiter, you're in sales. And they all freaked out on me because like, we're not in sales. I'm like, yes, you are. You Mm -hmm. are a salesperson. You are selling the dream. You're selling the opportunity to come work for this organization. Why do you need to partner with, with your business partner, with operations and the HR manager? It's because once you spend all that marketing, all that time, money, and effort to bring them in and sell this green this, this, this dream, you got to make sure ops don't make you look like a liar. So you got to make sure because they spend so much time on selling the dream and then it's like a burger. Right. If you yeah. get a Burger King, you're like, wow, that that Burger King looks beautiful in the picture. And then you get the slop of meat right yeah. <laughs> between two breads. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah. come on. Let's yeah. let's. So. So how do you how do you get a client? How do you get a business to follow through on that dream, on that marketing plan that recruiting is selling out there? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's and that is one of the biggest challenges I think for a lot of companies. They have to be willing to do it. That's where yeah. the work lies. You know, and again, because I come from the business perspective first. You know, it's it's very similar to the scenario. I mean, think of how often we've been sold, 
you know, we loved the salesperson that sold us into a product or service. And then once we got engaged with the company, they dropped us and turned us over to some, some other, somebody in operations, mm. you know, and, and that's what that same feeling can exist in, in recruiting where the follow through has to be there because it, it exists. It's a problem in business too, where you get engaged with the company, but then the follow through in the company is terrible. Mm. So that to me is, that's a big part of the work to do, but it is, it is being done by progressive companies. Um, again, I come back to how much of it is solvable up front. Yeah. You know, I mean, culture builds on itself. So, you can create that tipping point within a company by starting from the, the right in the, in the front, you know, in getting the right people and getting top level management leadership, right? Leadership words. Hey, I wrote a book called lingo words have power, tremendous power. Yeah. So you have to get leadership to want and desire to make that change. Yeah. And then the impact they have will trickle down and infiltrate throughout the company. Uh, so it's, I, I almost look at now that you've asked it the way you do it, I think it's kind of a two-step process. I think, you know, and what I, I tend to be on the front end of helping businesses change their recruiting messaging to attract their dream employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once, you know, you've got that ball rolling, then the work to be done is culturally inside. I mean, even on, when I go to, into companies that work on their branding, one of the things that we do is we kind of, we will often make up a word that represents the brand image. So everybody gets it. Okay. Uh, one of my comp- a company I worked with, uh, they were kind of a high tech, high tech luxury brand. And we wound up calling it Prapple, which was a combination of Prada and Apple, oh. a high end technology. And Prapple was like to the company that was, is a real thing. Like when they were, when we were redoing the branding on their website, we were like, well, has that been Prappleized? <laughs> right. And everybody in the culture of the company knows what Prapple looks and feels like. So it was an internal lingo. And I think that can actually help unify a company in recruiting and culture. Like communities, if you look at the history of lingo, lingo has been used throughout history to bind communities of people together. So create your own lingo, like huh. create, a, create a, a, a lingo within the company that represents the vibe and the culture that you all want to represent. You know, Google's done this, right? I mean, in their own way, they have the, uh, what do they call it? The people department instead of HR, right? Because they wanted to shift the traditional feeling. And I think that's a way that companies can use branding strategies to actually build uh, a better culture in their companies. And I'm glad Google's doing that or or they started leading the way, right? Because right now they are getting into a couple of trouble issues, right? With employees and unions and um, that's a whole other show. But you know what? Their idea is correct. It's one of the things when I first started getting into HR, one term that I did not like, Jeffrey, is human capital. I hate that term. I mean- We're not going to talk about human beings like if they're a product, like a cattle out on a ranch, right? These are people with 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 a a tangible product that they can offer to make the organization valuable. Now, you mentioned your book. Your first book is called Lingo, correct? Lingo, yep. okay. And, Lingo. and so, and then your next book is called The Self Employed Life. That's coming out on May the fourth. And correct. how can people get that book? So, uh, both books actually, you can go to the Self Employed Life Me. Okay. Uh, it is a, the designated page on my website, but this way you can bypass. You can go to jeffreyshaw.com too. But okay. if you go to the selfemployedlife.me, it'll take you straight to the books. Uh, it's featuring the self-employed life currently, but lingo is there as well. Uh, but I agree. I just want to comment on, 
you know, a big part of what my objective was in Lingo and, and my, my talk at uh, Space Coast Conference is really based m- much more on the strategies of Lingo, right? The branding strategies I'm using in, in recruiting. And I agree. I mean, the, we have to pay attention to the energy of words mm-hmm. because, you know, for example, I, I don't use the word, I target, target market. Like, could there be a worse marketing term? <laughs> like if you, because if you energetically think of the audience that you want to attract as a target that you're going to shoot at, yeah, right. how can they not feel like they are the victims of a target, right? You have to look at the energy of words and how you hold it because how you hold the energy of words is exactly how it's coming across to other people. You, and well, we have to take yeah. responsibility for that. I refuse to call people I work with as a target audience. Like it's just, that's just awful. It's like uh, human it, capital. So, hey, you know what? And, and, God, and I am guilty of that, Jeffrey, because yes, I do hate human capital, that term. I've used target audience so much and I didn't think about it till right now. That's the, it becomes rote yeah. language. That's yeah. the problem. Wow. You know, okay. believe me, my mother says a bunch of things she should no longer say, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, you know, rote language. You know, yeah. She's in her mid eighties. I give, you know, I'll give cut her some slack, yeah. but that's the right. We, we get caught in marketing and business in general is full of rote language, even marketing. Like I, we, in my business, we use the term enrolling, like we have an enrolling plan so that we can take responsibility as a business to figure out how, what we need to do to enroll people into our world. Mm. Okay. Instead of marketing at or to them, because marketing is always followed by marketing to people, marketing at people. So it's like shooting arrows, like at a target again. Whereas if you look at it as an enrolling, it's reversing the, the responsibility to saying, what do I need, need to do to enroll people closer into my world and build the relationship from which they will choose uh, to do business with me or my clients? Wow. Well, Jeffrey, I cannot wait to see you in action on April 21st. Again, that is Space Coast HR Conference happening April 21st in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, we're sold out. We are definitely sold out. I'm happy to hear that. But Jeffrey, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Again, your website, one more time, where where people can reach you. Uh, Well, go to the the book page is theselfemployedlife.me. Roger that. Jeffrey, thank you very much. And I will see you in a couple of weeks, sir. Will indeed. Have a good one. Bye. Well, that was fun. (laughs) It really was. Hey, a big shout out to Jeffrey Shaw. Really appreciate his time. And folks, we will see you at the Space Ghost HR Conference on April 21st. Have a good one. See you there. Bye. On behalf of Ricky Baez, the entire HR Talk podcast team, and crew behind the scenes, thank you very much for your time today. Drive safe. Have a good night.